Let's grab our Bibles. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, the first chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand and um, we'll get you one. And also, if you don't have the, uh, the bulletin, that's going to be super helpful for you as there are sermon notes there on the back. So just raise your hand and we'll get you um, bulletin and or a Bible for you as we get everything sorted out here. Okay, yes. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 7 through 10 this morning as we look again at um, what I've titled for these first three messages, Heart Fuel. Heart Fuel. And, and the reason why I have titled it that is because what we find in the book of Ephesians is that the second half of the letter, the last three chapters, are full of of the instructions that we need to live a holy, praise-filled, God-centered life. But the first three chapters are the fuel to do it. And we, we so quickly want to go straight to the recipe. Hey, just, just give me the recipe. Just, you know, just tell me what to put in these hamburger patties here and tell me, you know, Five-ounce patties, we'll make them about this thick. We'll, we'll just get this going. And Paul spends the whole first half of his letter giving us fuel. Right? I, uh, I have right here. Fuel. Right? This is full of fuel. See? I got this from my 12-year-old daughter. I don't know why she has it. She has everything. She is prepared. She's like a little Boy Scout or bag lady. She, she has everything. Yes, and she, 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 I have her permission, by the way. Right? I wouldn't say that without her permission. Uh, but she she uh, gave this to me as an illustration of uh, the fact that if we don't have the gospel truths that we need to live on as in our hearts, the recipe ain't going to matter. Right? So, more fuel. Ah, yeah? Ever try to cook a hamburger with one of these? This is better. That's what I use to start fires with at home. Somebody calls that cheating. I call it efficient. Um, this is better. We, 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 need, we need fuel to run on. Right? Your heart was meant to run on truths that matter. And often when you find that you're just going through the motions... The reluctance to fuel yourself with gospel truth 
is because you're suffering from the I already know that syndrome. Right? I already know that. Here, I, I know you want these. But I already know that is like hooking up another tank of propane to your grill, and the grill's like, oh, this again? Yeah, this is what you run on. This should not seem redundant to you. Right? This, 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 this is what we need. Right? This is what we need going on in our hearts, fueling us to live a new holy, praise-filled, God-centered life. Just because we have the recipe doesn't mean it's going to get it done. We need the truths to run on. And Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 are full of them. And we need them. The New Testament is full of reminders what you already know. We need them. And I think what we'll find is we don't know the parts and the implications of the gospel nearly as well as we think we do. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, as we look at this new, holy, praise-filled, God-centered life that is fueled by these truths right here. Verse 7. In Him, this is Christ, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, what is Paul giving us here? What, what truth is he giving us that should, should light us up? Should give us fuel to live this new, holy, praise-filled, God-centered life? Well, it would be, I, would, I think we could summarize it in one statement, and each part of that statement has some facets to it. So, three parts and pieces in them. First part would be this. You are redeemed. You are redeemed. And if, if that's not a part of what is driving you, fueling you, firing you for this new, holy, praise-filled, God-centered life, then you truly are just going through the motions. You're redeemed. Here's, here's four things we notice about that redemption. First of all this, we have redemption, right? We're redeemed in Him. That is, in Christ. That's our redemption. It's in Him. Christ is the sinless one. Right? Christ is the righteous one. God doesn't just have for you some good things, but what He has for you is all that belongs to Christ because you are in Christ. 
when we baptize people, right? Not long ago we had a tank sitting right over there, and not long from now we'll have a tank sitting there again. And, and when we baptize people, th this is the main part of that picture, that you are being put into Christ. You are being immersed in Christ. You are united with him. Now, the, the water doesn't unite you with Christ, okay? Baptism doesn't save you. It's what saved people do, right? But you go down into Christ, and you come up, right? You are immersed into Christ. You are united with him, and you stay that way, right? We don't hold you under the water forever, but you do come up wet, right? You're raised to walk in a new kind of life because you're united with him. You are redeemed in Christ. Do you think much about how God sees you? Many people don't like to think about how God sees them because they know God sees all and it ain't all pretty. Right? So for many people, the last thing they want to think about is how God sees them. But here's some heart fuel for you. When God looks at you, he sees Christ. Because you're in Christ. You are enveloped in him. In him. In him we have redemption. Through his blood. There's a second thing we notice here about this redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood. Ooh. That's gross. That's messy and gross. Like, why blood? Because sin is messy and gross. That's why. Right? Already in the, New Test in the Old Testament, we, we have the picture given by God of how messy and gross sin is by the sacrifices that he instructed there. Ooh, messy and gross. Get the picture? And then Christ comes along and is the fulfillment of those sacrifices. And if you've ever seen a depiction of Christ's crucifixion and the brutality of that day, you know like that is messy and gross for a reason. To show that there is nothing too messy and too gross for God to cover in that blood. We can never truthfully say it's too messy for God to forgive. It's too gross for God to forgive. You think you've made your family a bloody mess? You think you've made your relationships a bloody mess? Christ's blood is the mess that makes all messes clean before God. There is nothing too messy and too gross in you and what you've done that cannot be forgiven by this redemption in him through his blood. How's that for heart fuel? Right? Fire that thing up. In him we are redeemed through his blood and redeemed as in the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Right? Because so, like some people have the impression that church foundationally is for good people. Yeah, there were people laughing last time too. Like, it, church is not 
foundationally for good people. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I've come to church, I don't belong here, I know these are good people, I'm not a good person, but I'm here anyway, I might want to try to fit in, I might want to change my ways and go from being a bad person to a good person, um, let's talk. Because, like, church being for good people, like, may be true in some sense, like in the sense that, that we want to be becoming holy and blameless before him. We want to be becoming people who do works of mercy. We want to be becoming those who are loving and patient and kind and joyful. We want to be becoming good people. So I guess, yes, in that sense, but foundationally, the more important truth isn't that we're good, it's that we're bad. And we know it. Welcome. We are here as sinners who are trusting His grace for forgiveness. And here's the exciting part. According to the authority of God's Word right here, we have it. We have His forgiveness. We have received that forgiveness. Does anybody here know where East is? Just point. Yeah? It's north. Yeah? It's south. West, it's east. Yeah, so now that we're all on the same map, right? Everybody point east and west. How, 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 how close together are those two, east and west? Yeah, like as far as you can get from each other, right? And this is what the Bible says about you and your sin, that he has taken, if you are in Christ, he has taken your sin and he has removed it as far from you as the east is from the west. Like, I don't know about you, but my sin feels very, like, integrated <laughs> with me. And, and there's a biblical truth there, too. But, but the, the gospel truth of God's forgiveness is that in his sight, he has removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. And yours too. You're redeemed. And when you think of the bloody mess, maybe that your pride has made, it may, it may be bitter. <laughs> but that's when you can realize the sweetness of forgiveness. Do not do not think that confession and repentance is demoralizing. It is energizing. It is heart fuel. Because when you come confessing and repenting, and he says, east, west, done, forgiven, redeemed, covered in him. Man, let's find something else to confess. That is energizing. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. You notice that? You notice that God isn't reluctant to give you grace? He lavished it on you. And he isn't short on grace. He has an abundance of grace. 
He has the riches of his grace. The storehouses of his grace is from, that's from where this lavishing comes. For, for, for reasons that will soon become clear, that reminds me, and I'm sure just me, of tennis balls. And here's why. The other day, I went to Academy, and I, and I purchased, probably for the first time ever, a can of tennis balls. They were expensive. Like, I've never bought tennis balls before because my dad is a tennis pro. right? He's a club pro. So growing up, I knew that my dad had shopping carts upon shopping carts upon shopping carts of tennis balls. We never bought tennis balls. We wouldn't even know where to go to buy tennis balls. <laughs> You could take my dad's inventory of tennis balls and cover this room in several layers of tennis balls. Just, that's, that was life for me. Your dad has storehouses of grace. He is not pinching out little doses of grace for you. He has the riches of his grace and it's from that that he has lavished it upon you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Does it sometimes feel like it's just the opposite, though? Uh, even, even though you know Christ, does it sometimes feel like, man, I don't feel lavished on with grace? I know how that feels. And, I, and I've seen many lives operating under a sense of gracelessness. Many people who know Christ, nevertheless, operating under a sense of meager grace. And I'll just tell you, 99% of the time, the Christian who is no longer experiencing a sense of of the lavish riches of God's grace is experiencing instead this verse right here from James chapter 4. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you know Jesus Christ. So you know intellectually that he has lavished upon you from the riches of his grace, redemption and graciousness, mercy, but you don't feel it, you don't experience it. He has more grace to give in the, in the smoldering clamor of your relationships and in the flames of bitterness. He has more grace to give, but you don't experience it because you won't get low. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It's like driving around this week and in all of the rainwater, right? It all goes to the low places, right? I'm just driving down bitters. And, and there's a river that goes underneath this bridge on bitters. It wasn't supposed to be a river, right? It's just a ditch. But it's a river now because all the rainwater runs to the low places. You want to experience a sense of God's lavish grace? Get low. It runs to the low places. God gives grace when you get low. God has already lavished His grace 
on you in forgiveness, but I'm telling you there are floods of grace that would come in and extinguish flames. But you won't lower yourself. It's not because God doesn't have storehouses of grace. It's not because God doesn't know how to lavish. Get low. Humble yourself. Here's the heart fuel, right? So that's the recipe. Here's the heart fuel. He lavished his grace on you according to his riches when you were his enemy. So how about now, while you are redeemed, humble yourself for more grace in the face of mere human conflict? So much grace for you. So, for summarizing these verses, we'd say, you are redeemed for God's plan. You are redeemed for God's plan. What do I mean? Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, it says, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. He's got a plan. Right? You are redeemed for God's plan. And that plan, we can see right here, is based... Here, we're switching main points. Why don't we switch colors? Ooh, that's clever. Based in wisdom. In all wisdom and insight. God knows exactly what he's doing. Right? So like when we sing Reckless Love... We get it absolutely right if we're realizing that God's love is lavished with abandon on undeserving sinners. Got it. But we get it wrong if we think he's thoughtless or imprecise. He knows exactly what he's doing. And here's the point. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has a wise plan, and he's showing us. He's revealed it to us. See? Making known to us, to us, the mystery of his will. Now, whenever Paul uses the word mystery, he's always talking about something that God had at one point in time had covered up, but now is revealing. He's making known what, what was a mystery, and now he's revealing it. He, he has shown you. He has a plan, and he's revealing it to you. He has shown you how a person can be made right with a holy God. Through the cross of Christ, he's shown that to you. He, he has shown you how a corrupted person can walk in victory over sin, right? By trusting the power of God's Spirit in him, right? He's revealed that to you. He's shown you how every tribe and tongue and nation can be reconciled and the dividing wall of hostility torn down through love and humility shown to us in Christ, right? 
He's shown that to you. That's amazing. Like, do you realize the privileged position that you are in to understand that mystery? We'll take a, a quick flip over to 1 Peter. Um, you can flip, or, uh, or I'll just show you up on the board here. Right? 1 Peter chapter 1 says in verse 10, so just as, as an illustration, the fact that you have been shown these mysteries, Peter writes this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, you, you have, who have been immersed in Christ. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And here's this. Things into which angels long to look. These gospel truths that God has now revealed to you through the proclamation of His Word, through the teaching of His apostles, which you now have and hold in your lap, these are the things in which the angels long to look. They're like, your plan, your plan, it blows our mind. Who can possibly fathom it? I know, I'll gather these people and explain it to them. What? Why us? I mean, does that get your grill started? I mean, it's so, so much more than just going through the motions and putting one foot in front of the other, trying to figure out what you're going to have for dinner on Tuesday, trying to figure out how to get to the mall. Like, like, we got to do all those things, but my goodness, you are in on a cosmic plan. Let's get back to our text. Uh, here. Right. Man. This should spark a, a sense of joy, right? And a sense of responsibility, right? You've, this has been now revealed to you. You are part of it. You've been immersed into Christ. You not only have, been, have it revealed to you, you have been put into this plan. Will you have the mystery of God's grace revealed to you and then not share it? Will you have the mystery of God's power revealed to you and then not walk in it? Will you have the mystery of God's plan to reconcile every tribe and tongue and nation and then ignore every tribe and tongue and nation except your own. God's grace is recklessly lavished on you. But he knows precisely what he's doing. And he has given you this. He has revealed to you this to fuel your heart in this mission that he has graciously made you a part of. According to, the text says, according to, 
sliding over here, his purpose, which you set forth in Christ. His purpose. Like this plan, this is his purpose. This is his design. This is what he's all about. The whole plan of redemption is not an accident. It's not plan B. Right? Jesus Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. When I was a kid, I thought like, you know, the Garden of Eden was plan A. And then the cross was just sort of like God's safety net. Because of that whole eating from the wrong tree part and like, oh, ooh, what are we going to do? I know. No. In God's sovereign purposes, the glory of his grace is his design. Not some preserved innocence, but rather a display of his grace how God has the power to save rebellious sinners and to change them. This is what he wants to show the whole universe on purpose. So, three parts here. You are redeemed for God's plan to unite everything in Christ. To unite everything in Christ two things we're going to observe about that. One is this, that he unites everything. Oh, I should change colors again, right? Wouldn't that be the thing to do? To unite all things in him in the fullness of time. It's a plan for the fullness of time. Right? God's timing is perfect. The God who created all things, then in the fullness of time, gave his promises in the Old Testament. And then in the fullness of time, sent his son. And then in the fullness of time, redeemed you by his blood. And then in the fullness of time, will unite all things in him. Right? Like he knows what he's doing, and his timing is perfect. His whole plan has perfect timing, including his timing for you right now. That, that time, that fullness of time where he's going to unite all things in him, that time has started, but the fullness of time is coming. And you have a part to play right now at this time. Right? Your time on the field is right now. It's probably the fourth quarter. Probably. And you might not be on the field when he decisively finishes his work. But now is your time to be a part of where this is all headed, right? It's all headed to a renewed unity under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's where it's all headed, and you are a part of that right now. So we live this day in light of that day, right? And so often, I get it, I get it, I'm there so often, with our heads just down, kind of just doing the thing of the, of the day. But that is not the heart fuel that Paul has given us to live from. We live this day in light of that day. There's a plan here, and you're in it at this point in time. And it will come to its fullness at that point in time. And that plan is to unite all 
things in him. He's uniting all things, right? Things in heaven and things on earth. Here's the idea. The fulfillment of God's plan is that everything will come together in renewed unity in and under Jesus Christ. Everything remaining in rebellion against him will be cast out. And all things in heaven and on earth will be united in him. Whew. All right. That's awesome. Looking forward to that. But here's part of where Paul is going with this. Can you point to a group of people who have already come together in renewed unity under the headship of Jesus Christ? Like, can you point to a group of people like that with your finger? That's right. That's where Paul's going with this. The church is called to light the way, to be an outpost and a demonstration of where the entire universe is headed. Let's show them. Let's show them. Here, here's, a, here's another flip for us, okay? Let's look at Ephesians 3. That's an easy flip because it's just a like a page over, maybe. Or you can just look on the board. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10 says it this way. To me, that is to say, Paul, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles? What? All the nations are being brought into this? The unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through, get this guys, so that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is showing the angels his plan through y'all. God, what's the plan? I'm going to unite all things in and under my son Jesus Christ. There's going to be a renewed, a renewed unity in him. And every tribe and tongue and nation will praise his name. Really? Yeah, let me show you. Watch. Like, that should set it on fire, man. Now, we need to not be triumphalistic about it, as in, you know, we haven't perfected unity. And, and we won't be the ones uniting all things in him. Like, he'll show up and do that, right? It's not like the church is going to take over the world. We're like, we're going to show you how to do it. <laughs> not like that. But rather to fire us up, because we are called to light the way to where the whole universe is going. We are called to show the world and the angels some sort of picture of where this is headed, renewed unity under the headship of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and, and as we encourage one another in obedience, as we pray for one another earnestly, as we care for one another, 
and our needs for one another, and as we, especially for those that are different than one another, right? That's a huge theme throughout this entire letter. As we do that, we light the way. And it's definitely not because Paul lays out for us just three chapters of recipe. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And we're just going to go and robot one foot in front of the other. And it is not going to happen that way. It's going to happen because we are fired up through the truth of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And these gospel truths will motivate every bit of this if we're truly going to like the way. Right? Through His grace.